teacher. Um, so I know a lot of students will use this if they're um, getting some kind of education and training or if they have some sort of business plan um, and there um, are expenses um, to achieving um, that self-sufficiency. Um, so within the application process, it's, it's rather lengthy, um, but you lay out your whole work plan, a business plan, you, you lay out a budget. Um, I, I think it's a great tool not only um, in order to sort of save some of that money, but also to help you plan and, and you know, make sure that um, you're gonna have what you need and um, you know, kind of look through that. So that is an option. Um, and I also want to note that every state has additional works programs. Um, I know in Wisconsin we do, and, and the asset um, restrictions are different in every state for those work programs. So things, additional works programs? Additional works programs. Um, so every state they're different. Um, every state they're called different things. Um, so that would be apart from Social Security where you would say, you know, I'm unable to work, but if um, you are able to work um, and you're looking at um, perhaps you lost a job um, and need to get back into the workforce, works programs can assist you. They cannot assist you if you are receiving Social Security. Um, at least, um, I know that's true in Wisconsin, but I think that's common across the board. Um, but they, they have different asset restrictions um, in terms of if you, um, if you have a house or um, if you had you know, a vehicle, if your family has a vehicle. Um, there's different restrictions on that, and so sometimes you're able to have more assets in those programs. Um, and if you're interested, um, you can contact me after a convention and I can help you find your state's information. I have a job opportunity, but I need to know how, I'm afraid of my earned income affecting my SSI, SSDI, Medicaid, and Medicare. How, what advice do you have for me planning? I don't want to be worse off financially. Should I take the job? <laughs> Always take the job. Oh, oh I was going to let you start. Oh, absolutely. And okay. Cool. Okay, so you got a job offer and you're thinking, oh no, what's going to happen to my $800, $1,200, $771 payment that I get from Social Security? Oh my God, what about health insurance? I can't tell you as a rehabilitation counselor, um, as a job developer, when I've had VR clients and they've come to get a job, and we find them one, and then they renege on the last minute because they panic because of misinformation. They don't understand all of the safety nets that the Social Security Administration provides to beneficiaries of disability benefits, and that's, part of, that's a big part of what we're talking about today. So as far as I've got a job opportunity, um, what do I do? What I, I guess I'm going to start first from a couple practical points and then talk about the benefits advisement. If you've been out of the workforce for a while, you've got what we call a work gap or an employment gap on your resume. You know, whether it's been three years, 10 years, 28 years. But a work gap is something you can very easily eliminate simply by getting a part-time job. Sometimes simply by volunteering or doing a work experience program. But I'd rather see somebody get a job. So if you start a job, say you're on it even for four months, six months, it's always easier to find a job when you have a job. You're much more marketable when you're actually gainfully employed because you've got a supervisor who can give you a reference, you have 
you know, you're demonstrating that you've got a work ethic, that you, you know, get to work timely, you perform your duties, you leave on time, you know, you're getting satisfactory performance ratings, etc. And you're also proving to yourself that, hey, I can do this. This may not be the job I'm going for, but hey, I'm working. I haven't done this in years, and this feels great. And you're, you're gaining that confidence, you're, you're figuring out how to get around in a workplace, how to use assistive technology in a workplace. You know, so there's that practical piece of it. Um, the, the second piece to this, sorry about that. You know, sometimes you may start off with an entry level job, or it may not be the job you're looking for. But if you know anybody who's ever served in a management position, they generally didn't graduate from university or college and walk into that management program making $100,000 a year. They started at the bottom and worked their way up. The best managers, if you've ever been in the workforce, you know the best managers are those people who know how to do your job because they've been there, done that. And it's the same thing with us. So if you start an entry-level job, you look at the opportunities that exist in that workplace or in similar fields in your area, you network, you ask your friends, your family, you know, where are these jobs? And ultimately, you know, you will elevate into better positions, better opportunities, and ultimately, as we're talking about today, you know, lead to that sailing away from finance, or sailing into financial freedom, you know, into financial independence, you know, away from the dependence on benefits. So from a benefits perspective, just see my notes here. From a benefits perspective, one of the first things that I tell people when they contact me through the Ticket to Work program, I tell them about the safety nets. I tell them about a trial work period. I tell them about an extended period of eligibility. And I may even tell them about expedited reinstatement. And you may have heard of these terms, you may not have. But in a nutshell, the trial work period is for a Social Security Disability recipient. So you're receiving SSDI. Um, that person basically has nine months within a five-year period. They don't have to be month after month strung together. It could be three months this year, two months next year, three months the following year. But eventually they're going to be looking, Social Security is going to be looking at nine months over a five-year period where you earn, using this year's numbers, $880 a month. Now that's different than substantial gainful activity, that magic number that Social Security uses to figure out whether you're, whether you have the ability to support yourself. You know, SGA, substantial gainful activity, is different than trial work level. This is just to basically help them evaluate whether you're able to, you know, at least engage in the, in the, in the workforce. And, you know, if you have some success, you know, with employment. So they'll give you nine months to basically try this. Stick your foot in the water, start off part-time, you know, maybe try a couple different jobs, maybe a couple seasonal jobs, maybe, you know, a nine-month string, you know, jumping right in, you know, right into the deep end and going into a full-time gig. You know, you have the option. The beauty of this whole program is flexibility and choice. And that's one of the things, that's one of the reasons I moved away from VR and went into the Ticket to Work program. It's all about consumer choice. It's a beautiful thing. So, the beauty of the trial work period is as you're earning this $880 or more per month, you're also double dipping. Yes, I said that. You're, I heard your, your jaws hit the floor. You're actually collecting your Social Security disability check for those nine months while you're earning any amount of money. And paying 
and paying into the system. Yes, you know, basically investing in your retirement, in your disability benefits in the future if you had to go back on. So you know, you're basically given a nine month freebie to see if it works, to see if you can handle this, to see how things go. And then if you are at that magic number for substantial gainful activity, which for, for us blind people, it is $2,040 a month. Now everybody else in the social security system is at 1,220, so we're almost double them. We've got a great lobby. So because of that, we have a lot of flexibility. You know, you can, you can work quite a bit before you're in 2040 a month, depending what kind of job you have. Uh, and then basically, say, you, say you, you complete that nine trial work period months, and you're making over 20,000, or geez, I'd love to make over 2,400 a month. <laughs> say you're making $2,040 a month plus. So Social Security is going to look at you and say, hmm, hey, you look like you're no longer disabled. And you're going to get a letter in the mail from them that's going to scare the bejeebies out of you. Okay? When you get a letter from them stating you're no longer disabled, that makes people scramble and get away from the workforce. But what that means, and I warn my people about this all the time, what that means is your disability condition, your physical, mental, whatever disability condition exists. They're not, they're not arguing that. But they're saying, we believe you can support yourself, which actually is a beautiful thing. So at that point, they're going to send you into an extended period of eligibility. It's a three-year period where they're going to say, you know, we're just going to watch and see how your earnings go. Um, now, the first three months of that, they're going to give you this, what we call grace period. They're going to, be, going to give you three more checks on top of that nine you already got. So in essence, you can get 12, 12 months of checks, even if you're earning over SGA before they cut your benefits. What's SGA? Substantial gainful activity. That's at $2,040 a month. So I know it's, it's a lot of numbers and it's a lot of, a lot of, uh, an, yeah, acronyms. Thank you, I was thinking anagrams? Yeah. <laughs> That's not the right word. Substantial gainful activity. Okay, gotcha. All right. And uh, basically, the, the one last piece of that is the ex ex expedited reinstatement. I think we'll get to that in one of the later questions. Um, but basically another five-year period that you can just basically jump right back on and reapply. And it's a lot easier than it sounds, which is not what you'd expect from Social Security. So I will hand this to Lori. Oh, sorry. Oh, we're like doing the way there. I was ready to hit him in the head and he was going to hit me in the shoulder. <laughs> okay. So there are additional work incentives uh, for people on SSI, Supplemental Security Income. It's, it's more like a formula with SSI. So um, the first $20 of your, uh, there's what, the, what they call the earned income and the unearned income disregards. So those are offsets. Uh, it basically totals. When you're working and you're on SSI, to save time, I'm going to explain it this way. When you're working and you're receiving SSI, basically the first $85 doesn't count. Um, after that, as a blind person, there are other work incentives called blind work work expenses. Thank you. <laughs> I don't. I try not to use the acronyms when I'm speaking because I don't want people to get confused. I will warn you. 
everybody in this room who's receiving SSI or if you're or SSDI if you're working with a client, the benefits plan, planning query that I spoke about earlier, well, I'd say about 85% of the time, has people who are blind down as not blind. Where does that hurt you? What did Ian tell you about the differences between the substantial gainful activity for people on SSDI who are blind and not blind? Check the benefits planning query. Um, the blind-related work expenses are things like meals consumed while at work. Receipts have to be, of course, provided. Transportation to and from work. I'm sorry? Yeah, dog food for people that have guide dogs. Things like that. Those are blind-related work expenses. Taxes that you pay. How much, you look at your check and you say, oh my God, I paid, you know, my check was $1,000, but I paid $250 in taxes. Well, you know what? Then that becomes a blind-related work expense. Okay? Not blind people can't do that. How can taxes be blind-related? Doesn't everybody pay taxes? Yeah, yeah. Oh, they certainly do. But we, there is a list. If you go to the Social Security website, there is a list. There's like 30 items on there. Some of them are pretty funny because some of them are kind of outdated. In this country, that is being an American-related American expense. So, so um, you know, the, the purpose of a benefits practitioner is really to work with you on understanding these. So somebody who is blind and on SSI really has a way of enhancing, they, they can earn quite a bit of money and still keep their benefits. All you need in a lot of states is a dollar of SSI to keep your Medicaid, keep your food stamps, things like that. You know, there's, there's a lot of different ways to look at things. Um, hold on one second, we're recovering insurance on this. Or was it just fine? Okay, that's what I just want to look back and see. There are some additional ones that are a little more uh, complicated that I don't want to go into in the interest of time, but we could certainly talk about them later. Um, and I'm going to turn it back to Brooke. Oh, did it? Okay, so I'm just going to talk about then, um, again, ways to the Medicaid buy-in, which basically is Medicaid for people with disabilities, has a higher earnings limit than the general Medicaid amount. Um, and the Medicaid buy-in, if you have employer-based insurance, I have a client right now in New York, her employer-based, her in annual income is $47,000 a year. I'm sorry, $37,000 a year. She pays over $5,000 in monthly premiums. So, uh, I'm sorry, not monthly, in annual premiums, it's like, it's close to 6,000. So, you know, it's a good chunk of her income each month. She just, I got her onto the Medicaid buy-in and now they're paying the premiums and she's getting that money back. So, there are lots and lots of things that people don't tell you about. Um, you know, that is one way. Also, you can, even after, if you're earning and you lose your social security disability insurance, um, your Medicare does not stop. So there is, um, you can pay into it and keep your Medicare Part B as in boy, which covers general doctor's visits and Medicare A for uh, you know hospital coverage. Um, so that, 
I'm sorry, the elevator alarm is distracting me. It's my attention deficit disorder. Um, so those are some things to think about too if health coverage is very important to you. I've reported. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm trying to hand you the microphone. Oh, I forgot I it. Yeah. I know. <laughs> I have reported my earnings to the Social Security Administration, and I've told them I don't think I'm eligible for benefits any longer, and they keep depositing checks into my account. What do I do? And then, briefly, part B of this question is I've been off of benefits for an extended period of time and the Social Security Administration has contacted me saying that I owe money that I don't think I owe. What do I do? Okay, so um, the first of all, reporting your income is your responsibility. And for people on SSI, it's best to report by the 10th of the month after you earn the income. The Social Security Disability, I always tell people as quickly as possible. With There are some differences with SSI. The money is counted in the month that you receive payment. Whereas with Social Security Disability, it's the money that's counted when you earned it. So if you're an artist and you sell a painting, and you make $60,000, but it took you three years to make that painting, you're gonna divide that 60,000 by, 30, by 36 months. Thank you, Mike, because I forgot how many years I said. <laughs> um, so, if there's, um, so there are some slight differences there. Um, I find with a lot of my clients that have overpayments, the problem comes into play where they say, I'm blind and I really have to go to Social Security each month to report my income. I encourage people to. I know you can report online. However, both impairment-related blind expense, impairment-related expenses, which are for people who are on SSDI, which would be things like transportation to and from work, medication co-pays, things like that. It's not as much as, as a blind-related work expense as somebody on SSI but it's still there. You can't report those on the online reporting. So um, it's always best to go in, have them take copies of your documents, and um, you know that way you know, you know and it gets stamped. Um, in my own opinion, and this doesn't happen in reality, it would be nice if they had like one evening a month to help people out in the reporting process. Um, in addition, you, um, you can, uh, if you don't think you, re if you've re reported and you really don't think you owe it, um, you know, you can request um, a waiver. And I'm sure. <laughs> 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 Sorry, guys. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, so I just want to kind of go off of that the idea of actually going into your um, social security office. Um, one thing that I've noticed um, with um, with people that I've been advocating for, but also for myself, um, sometimes we forget that with SSI and SSDI, your case might be handled by two different people. And if you're calling. Um, and talking to one of them, that doesn't mean that all your information is actually going to um, get reported to the other one. 
Um, it's very true. Um, so um, just a quick example. Um, so I had my eligibility review for SSI um, just when I started employment um, after graduating law school. And uh, so everything went fine with that paperwork, um, but the SSDI side um, didn't put me into that trial work period. Um, so I had to um, contact them to make sure that I wasn't um, gonna be going past that and then needing to repay them because that's a pain. Um, the other thing I would say in part B about repaying, if you do have an, you know, an overpayment, um, it's, it's common, don't freak out. Um, simply call and, um, or you can go in, I, I, you can call for this one, I think, too, though, and you can, <laughs> Alright, I guess I'll let someone speak since we're being that rude, so I'm just going to ask the microphone. I won't even finish my thought list. Okay. Okay. Um, I don't want to, I, I, I didn't mean to be rude, I'm just telling you the way oh, can we, that it Can works. we get her a mic? Oh, I'll come up here. I'll come up here. Right. We don't have too much time, so can I we? Okay, I was just trying to share my experience. Um, and so, um, whether you call or go in, you can easily set up a payment plan. Um, I've heard people pay as little, little as $10 a month. Um, I personally have paid $100 a month for an overpayment. Even though it wasn't my fault, you can appeal it. Uh, from my experience, that doesn't often succeed. Um, I'm always a fan of appealing things, maybe because I'm a lawyer and like to argue. But um, you know, you can you can come up with something that's manageable that you probably don't even notice um, coming out of your bank account. Okay, I'll take. All right. And then at the end, if there are audience questions or um, anything to add, if we have time at the end, you're welcome to do that. Um, I'm a vocational rehabilitation counselor and I'm trying to help my client find a job. How can I best help them transition from benefits to employment? I know Sarah and I'm Mike, I can't have spoken for a while. Mike, what's your name? Where's Mike? Uh, you say your the, the, the best suggestion I can make in, in very quickly is to suggest that the, the uh, VR counselor find a benefits counselor and refer the, the client to receive benefits advisement. Uh, <laughs> they can do that through Social Security. Um, but it, it, it's, it's something that we've been trained and we work with many different people in understanding the systems and why they work and how they work. So, you know, having uh, that first-hand knowledge and the many different cases that we've worked with, and uh, just to let everybody here know that Lori and I will sit down for dinner and discuss sometimes people that we're working with to try and see what suggestions we may have missed. Because there's always, there's so much out there and understanding where these people are and where we need to try and get them 
it is really practical. So if you're working with a VR counselor who's suggesting that they have somebody who's ready to go to work, make sure that they do receive some sort of benefits advisement because those people need to know what to expect as they move forward into the realm of employment. aside for that, um, you don't actually have to go to Social Security, like the building, to find out who your working center practitioner and assistant is. Um, Social Security calls it a WIPA. We call it a certified working center practitioner, but we're the same people basically. We've had the same training. And most of us honestly know more about benefits and work incentives than most of the employees at Social Security themselves. You just can't know everything. They, they're talking, they're looking at retirement and disability and survivors, they, they just can't know it all. So because we focus specifically on disability benefits and work incentives, you know, we're pretty close to knowing it all. And if we don't, we know where to look. You know, we know how to look in the pumps. So if you, if you wanted to get in touch with a work incentive, um, what's a whip up? Work incentive. Thank you. Work and Center Planning and Assistance. Um, basically, you go to the Social Security Ticket to Work Get Help directory. So if you just search Google or whoever and did Ticket to Work Get Help, you'll get the, the link to this. And you can do it by zip code. Check a little box that says WIPA, W-I-P-A, and that will bring up whoever your local Work and Center practitioner is um, through Social Security. Or if you're working with an employment network such as ours, you're already working with someone who's a certified work and center practitioner. Um, through the American Dream Employment Network, basically that's the requirement that somebody on every employment network provider staff be a certified work and center practitioner. And the case of the three of us, we're all we're all CWIPs. We've all got that certification from Cornell University to, to be able to provide these services as part of what we do in the ticket to work without charging extra for it. So, okay, Sarah, or I'm sorry. I think oh. your capacity. Yeah, okay. I don't have any, yeah. Um, and that leads us well um, for our panelists. I think we've answered question six, so we're going to move on to question six. What is the Ticket to Work program, and how can I get connected with it? So if you can go into a little more detail also about um, what you know about state by state. Okay, so the Ticket to Work program, you, you know, most people are familiar with vocational rehab through the state, your state commission for the blind or whatever your state happens to call it. The Ticket to Work is a little different. Like I mentioned earlier, it's, it's more about consumer choice. It's not state funded, but it's, it's basically funded by Social Security. What we don't provide is education to go to college or to, to obtain a degree. We're going to help you maybe find a resource or scholarships or things like that to maybe you know help with that goal, or we may refer you to the vocational rehab agency for your education and tell you, hey, come back to us when you're ready to go to work, and we'll basically help you find the job, keep the job, provide employment supports, help you manage your benefits, you know, basically help help walk you through the whole process of working, managing your life, having some life balance, financial wellness, 
uh, referrals for other other pro or other uh, other issues that you may have going on. I, I dealt with a guy last week who said, you know, Ian, I'm working. Uh, everything's going well. There's really not much I need from from you, but I'm tired of living in an apartment. I really want a house. I said, well, that's perfect. Let's let's do some internet searches. I said, right off the top of my head, I know about one program. And I gave him a website. And I said, let's see what's in your area. He was actually from this area. He was in the Finger Lakes, right near Rochester. So we started basically looking at, you know, first-time homebuyer programs. You know, he attended a workshop that Saturday, two days after I talked to him. So it's like, wow. You know, so there's a lot of issues, a lot of things that we're able to do that VR just doesn't have the time or doesn't do. We have smaller caseloads generally. You know, we provide very individual, individualized attention. You know, because we're more of the direct service staff, not just the person pushing the papers, making the referrals. You know, we really get into the nitty gritty and you know, establish relationships with our people. The other major difference with the ticket to work is the, the long-term aspect of it. If you're going through vocational rehab with your state agency, you generally will have your case closed successfully after you've been employed for 90 days. Guess what? You're stuck with us. I will be by your side for the next five years. Yes, you heard that correctly. So I'll walk through the ticket or through the trial work period with you. I'll walk through three years of your extended period of eligibility with you if you're working above SGA over that $2,040 a month, which I hope we achieve. And then I'm even going to have some time after that, you know, another two to three years to basically follow along and see how you're doing. And if you happen to lose a job, if your company closes, if your disability, you know, decides to, to slam a door on you or, you know, something hits the fan, we can work on that. You know, we can basically adjust while we're moving forward, and you don't have to reopen that door to the vocational rehab agency and say, okay, my favorite rehab counselor, I'm coming back. I know I've seen you three times in 20 years. You're already working with a professional, and you're working with us long term. So we have, you know, we can sometimes do a job save by working on reasonable accommodations, by intervening and advocating on your behalf. You know, with the Social Security stuff, going back to that, the other piece that I don't think any of us really mentioned was we will go sometimes to the Social Security office and argue on your behalf. You know, I'll, I'll catch a paratransit bus and go to Social Security and meet you there, you know, if I'm working, if you're somebody in the Buffalo area working with me. And, you know, we'll basically sit down with the, with the Social Security worker with all of our case substantiated, you know, in, in paperwork and say, okay, here's what we provided you. Here's what he or she's entitled to. And here's the you know here's the the citations from your pounds manual that you know chapter whatever point two one you know um, you know we'll basically put it right in front of them and you know that's something that VR won't provide so you know it's it's a cool program like I said it's very much about choice so I'll let Mike basically tie this up passing Mike the mic. As I said, I'm a little bit more informal than, than most of the people up here. But uh, what I normally start out with, with uh, the, the people who call me, is I, I explain the ticket program by, by telling them a little story about how back in the 90s, the Social Security Administration dug a hole in the earth and told everybody on Social Security, SSDI, SSI, get down in the hole. And when they did, they labeled that hole poverty. Yeah. And they hammered a big H together, called it the Ticket to Work program, and they stuck it in a hole, 
and old Bill back in the 90s hollered down, if y'all want to climb the ladder, you can go ahead and do so. However, we don't care, and they don't. The Social Security Administration really doesn't care if you go to work or if you don't. But they'd rather you did, and they'd rather you get off the benefits. So over the years, that big H uh, that they call the ticket program has gained a lot of rungs on that ladder. And now I call it a ladder with all those rungs. It's my job to understand each one of those rungs, how they work, and how you can climb that ladder and get out of that hole of poverty. So that's the story that I tell them. And uh, when we work, when we begin working together, I'll explain each one of those wrongs, and I'll go back to the story and tell them this. Uh, we're working on Irwin's right now, the uh, um, earned income, impairment uh, related uh, income. So you know, when we're working on different things, I'll tell them this is one of the wrongs on that ladder that we talked about early on because we need to get out of that hole. And uh, I'll teach them how to climb that hole, the, the, the uh, buy-in for people with disabilities. That's one of the rungs. The uh, TWP, the uh, trial work period, that's one of the rungs on that ladder. So, you know, we try to help people get along all the way up. And uh, when people are on SSI, as Laurie referred to, the, the, the um, ERWIs and the BWIs and the student earned income, one of the rungs on the ladder. We can use them all to uh, basically manage the income so that you can keep most of what you earn and all of your social security benefit. So it, it's really a, a means of, uh, I think I had that backwards, most of what you get from social security and all of what you earn. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you, you, you have to be able to understand that lab and that's our job. And as Ian said, we do maintain relationships with folks going on five years. Why? Because we get paid by Social Security. We don't ask the person for a dime. We don't ask VR or the state agencies for any money. However, Social Security will pay us for five years of follow-up. And many of the, uh, the work incentive practitioners and ticket-to-work programs throughout the, the country are providing services um, after follow-up, you know, as follow-up to VR services. So uh, we'll, they call it the, um, oh, I'm drawing a blank on, on what they call it now. It, it, it may come to me. But uh, the, the program actually will allow the, the uh, employment network to attain the ticket because when somebody is receiving VR services from the state, they cannot assign their ticket because the state has that ticket and they are using that ticket. So the status is not really uh, assignable. So we can't get it while they're receiving services. However, we can get that ticket right after they finish that, that 90 day, uh, the, 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 you're done with closing your case. We can obtain that ticket at that point in time and we can follow up with this person for five years. All right, thank you. Our panelists did such a good job. They also answered question eight pretty well. Um, so what we're gonna do now, we have 15 minutes left of the formal program. Um, I'm gonna open it up for questions for the next seven minutes, or sorry, 12 minutes, and then we're gonna do a quick verbal survey that I'll lead you through. And um, at the end of that verbal survey, um, we'll have the panelists that can hang out um, stay to answer individual questions. If you have your ticket still in your possession, 
Um, I will stay up here for a few minutes after. So please, actually I'll wait by the door. Please hand me that on your way out. I think I got most of them, but just in case. If you have a question, they need to make noise. So if you have a question, say, hand up. there we go. And um, yeah. Okay, biggest concern there was with the Medicare Medicaid situation, health benefits, that was the biggest concern. But we're thinking about getting off of Social Security disability, get a, you know, get an alternate in, earned income. Biggest thing to come out of is Section 8 rent assistance. That's another biggie. So how do a deal with all of a sudden, I'm going to increase my rent, and now I got to pay full rent. And then my biggest concern is when I get off of disability, because I tried before, I had a few jobs, but I kept the income low enough where I kept my disability. But something will always come up. I couldn't perform the job right to the employer's liking, and I would get fired. Or one time I got laid off of one, I know it's been fired, so I quit. So I want to know, I hate to be in a situation where off a disability, you have a job, then I lose the job. No, and, and especially if I'm off of Section 8, now I gotta pay full rent. So how do you deal with the Section 8 rent assistance situation? And, and what about a set of loss of job with old benefits or gone? Okay, two-part question with, yeah, two-part answer. So let's start with the housing. Uh, the guy I was telling you about who lives in the Finger Lakes region right nearby who wanted to buy his own house after being in an apartment, guess where he lives? Subsidized housing. Yep. So basically he has been paying some, you know, he's had rent subsidy for you know, several years while dealing with his disability condition. And now that he's back to work, he's making, he's making some decent money. He, you know, obviously his, his rent is scheduled to change. So the first work incentive that HUD gives you through, you know, basic, you know similarly, so, similarly to Social Security, is they give you a year to see how it works. So if you make $50,000 this year, you're still paying last year's rent. Next May or April, whatever your month is to research, after that year, they're gonna say, all right, let's take a look at, let's take a look at your income. Worst case scenario is you're gonna pay market, market rate rent. So if, an, if that apartment is worth 850, you know, 850 a month or 1200 or whatever it is, you know, depending where you live, then you're gonna be paying market rate or market rent at that point at, following your research after that first year of you know, trying out. So say in that first year, you're, you've had a, say you worked for nine months, you've had a really good, good run and suddenly the disability symptoms kick in or there's a part of your job that just became impossible and you're like, all right, I can't do this anymore. I got to drop back to part time. So you go back below that 2040 or you, you know, or even after, even after they've written you that love letter saying they don't think you're disabled anymore. As soon as you drop your wages below 2,040 a month, you call up Social Security and say, something happened, I can't work like I was, I can't work above SGA level, I need my benefits back. Guess what happens next month on the 3rd? Or whatever day, you know, whatever you talk about. They, because you're in what we call the extended period of eligibility at that point. You have three years to basically test the waters. And then any month that you're not earning above SGA level employment of 2040 a month, you will get a Social Security check. But then what about your sex of eight? Because I'm paying the market rate that's eating that income up right now. 
But still, but then again, what about the Section 8 situation? Because you're off your Section 8, you're paying market rent. Once you're, once you're off Section 8, you're off. That's, that's one of the problems with Section 8. I did just want to add, though, that with Section 8, there yeah. is, a, is a home buyer program that a lot of people don't know about where instead of paying rent to rent a house, you could be, Section 8 would be paying a mortgage, a portion of your mortgage. Oh. That does not include taxes. So for folks in the lower part of our state who have high taxes, you wanna make sure you can financially manage something like that first. So if you're in an area that's high property taxes, you could wind up paying much, much more. Uh, but this is why you work with a benefits practitioner because we're gonna go over all these things with you. Okay, okay, because this is what confused me because now I've got to call Yeah, no, it's Section 8, once, well, section basically, eight, once you're Their wait list is closed. I can't even get on the wait list, and that could be years. Right. Unfortunately, that's the way Section 8 works. Once you're off the off the program and off the list, there's there's no way to jump back on it. So what do you do when in, uh, I, got, I got a landlord wanted a couple grand in rent, and I'm back on my disability benefits again? Yeah, it, this this is a this isn't a forum to address something like this only because it's not related to social security. So I think we probably should move on because we don't. Thank you. I have a question over here, and then I'll make it to the other side of the room. Do you want to answer that second part um, of his question? Okay. Here we go. Uh, what is the current New York State Supplement for SSI, and which agency administers that? Is that OPWDD or? No, it's not OPWDD. It's administered um, through OCFS. And that acronym is? Office of Family and Children's Services. Oh, and, and the amount? Um, it's 80, I want to say 89, but it could be 83, and they're not paying it on a monthly basis. It's usually paid every three months. And, and that's, that's, there's a lot of other variables, so that's just for a single individual, not institutional or a whole bunch of other factors. I think institutional is 25, but I didn't know that. Okay. Uh, okay, uh, this is Renee, okay, and I, I apologize for before, but I wanted to make two important comments. One, I think, I mean, this is a great service. I'd like to have it myself even though I currently work for Social Security, but there's a problem, there's a rung that you all need also to climb to help blind people who are currently working but they want to retire. What the Social Security is doing, and I know two people that this happened to and one that I've heard about, they are putting them back through the whole disability process and there's nobody to advocate for them and it takes them a long year. The rule is if you are stat blind, and I have the procedure back in my room, um, and you, uh, you, you are working and you want to retire, you do not have a five-month waiting period or a year waiting period. You do not go back on the, on the, um, on, on the, um, uh, into the process because your master beneficiary record, what we call the MBR, uh, is in what we call LAF X7. It's a, it's a, Ledger accounting code is another acronym, but but basically you're disabled. The only reason you're not getting a check is because you're earning over the limit. But these people have had to wait a year, and I think if I knew, I never heard of a beneficiary practitioner. Um, 
And that's why I'm waiting till I'm 66 in two months because I know the offices are not trained the way they used to be. And another thing is when you go into that office and you make a, 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 a payment back, and you repay back a benefit, you make darn sure not only do you get a paper receipt, you need to mark down the, the name of the person that you spoke with because they will not give you a receipt. I had to fight like anything, and I was a current employee. I went up to the, what we call the ARC-PCO on the 10th floor, the regional person, and I said, look, you either give me that receipt or I'm going to Congress. I want that receipt. And so they went down, they called down to the local office because they put me through eight months of letter after letter after letter, and I finally got a collection letter. And I didn't, I never spent a dime. I had the check and they wouldn't take it. So it's very difficult, but your services are needed but in one more step, and I'd like to see that implemented. I know how I can get myself up in case I really get sick of the place and I want to retire. You know, I know I get one of you guys because I wouldn't do it before I'm 66. Right. Unfortunately, I'm going to create so much new background. Unfortunately, the ticket to work, which is where we're paid through, um, can only take individuals up to 65. Social Security has that restriction. Um, so to work with somebody who and take their ticket, you know, we're not able to do that. Um, the other thing I just wanted to say, I do agree with Renee. I personally made $150 payment to Social Security. It came out of my credit card. I had the receipt with the person's name. <coughs> And mysteriously, it came out of somebody else's repayment account. So I literally just had this happen in April. So if I did not realize it when I looked at my Braille statement the next month, who knows? You know. <laughs> and that's that's what I'd like to comment about. Um, I, I worked for the state of California doing disability determinations for Social Security for 22 years, and then worked for Social Security for nine years, and. I just have some advice about dealing with Social Security. Always keep a record of your of your dealings. Always keep the name, get the name of the person you spoke with. Whether you're contacting them by phone or whether you're going into the office, just keep a record. If they don't give you something, write it down, write the dates down. That way you can specifically say, on this date I was told this. And when you're done with a conversation with someone, summarize what they've said. Say, I understand this. Is this what you're really saying? Because that way you can be clear about what you're understanding. And, they, and if they come back at you with a notice saying something else later on, you can bring that in and you can bring in your note, your notes that say, when I met with this person then, they told me this. We have time for two quick questions. Yes, um, my question is the following. I am on SSI, and my question is, how much does one have to earn in order to get off SSI? Can I feel this one more? Mike's jumping out of his chair quickly. <laughs> Mike's on the mic. Mike's on the mic. The goal is to keep your SSI <laughs> for as long as possible. You, you, the, the, the amount, the, the amount can vary depending on, on how much work you're doing, what state you live in, what you're earning, what work incentives. So, I mean, you can actually 
use the work incentives, the BWEs we called them before, the blind work ex ex expenses, and you can basically keep all of what you earn and maybe a portion of your SSI, which would allow you to keep your Medicaid because you automatically qualify for Medicaid and you want to keep it as long as possible. When, when, when it starts to go away, it will go away eventually. But the, the earnings limit can vary depending on what work incentives and, and, and the wrongs. What was that? What's the break even? Well, the, the basic break even number is, is $1,500 because they calculated at, at half of uh, at, uh, seven, 771 times 2 minus 85. That's, that's the break even number. I just want to add one quick thing to that. The, the other thing to remember is that the goal is to keep it as long as, as you can, um, but also um, to also to uh, keep in mind that there is the reporting requirements and um, when you get, it, I don't know how old you are, but sometimes when people are on SSI and they're younger, it may transition over to Social Security Disability Insurance based on your age. So that it, I have a uh, an individual right now who's 18 and because of his earnings within the next year, he's going to roll over to Social Security Disability because he'll have enough work quarters. But that's way too long to go into here. Four questions. I know there were more. So um, we're here. The, the many of the panelists are staying. They'll be um, up here just for sake of everyone knowing um, until the 4:45 time. So I'm going to give you my email address, and then you guys can reach out to me, and then I can forward it. Just so we're not giving four email addresses right now. That is Brooke, B-R-O-O-K-E, at Jacob Center, J-A-C-O-B Center, dot org. I'll repeat that one more time. Brooke, B-R-O-O-K-E, at Jacob, J-A-C-O-B Center, dot org. Feel free to email me any questions you don't get answered. I'll be up front for any tickets. I'm going to do a very quick two-second survey. One is strongly disagree, four is strongly agree. Um, I'm going to ask a question and I'm going to read off the numbers and if you uh, want to check that number just say aye. I found this presentation helpful. One is strongly disagree, four is strongly agree. So can I hear from ones? Can I hear for two? Okay. All right, two is like disagree. Three is agree, yes. and four is strongly agree. Yes. Okay, thank you. And um, I'm gonna read the exit code. 9C1F7, that is 9Charlie1Foxtrot7. Thank you, guys. Okay, so that was Brooke, at sign. Jacob.